Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi, this is Mike Dream, Station Manager for 810KLVZ. I met author, speaker, and discipleship trainer Mike Wolf a few months back through a men's group that we both attend. After listening to what he had to say in the group, I began reading his blogs, and his heart for men and challenging message for the church led me to ask him in for some interviews. Shortly after that, we began discussing a weekly spot so he could bring this entire message forward to our listening audience. I'm now proud to announce his new show, Voice in the Wilderness, beginning right now. Hey, all you brothers out there, this is Mike Wolf with Voice in the Wilderness Broadcast. And uh, believe it or not, I'm still struggling with that same cold I had last week. So if I do my uh, poor imitation of Bill the Cat here and cough up some fur balls, I hope you'll uh, hope you'll forgive me. But anyway, the show must go on. Um, before we continue on with the uh, final part of the first eight verses of uh, chapter 15 of John, which I entitled uh, Two Commands in Lockstep. Um, I need to talk a little business with you here and um, basically need to talk about the future of this broadcast. Uh, when I originally decided to take this project on, I personally committed to the funds required to pay for the first six months. Uh, it was a new show with a new message you don't hear in services on Sunday mornings. And so I knew I'd have to fund it until it had been given some time to get planted. Well, those months have flown by, and I uh, hope you've had as much fun as I have. But uh, and, and I do hope you've enjoyed the message and the interviews. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed the focus of uh, waking up my sleeping brothers in the pews uh, of churches across America. And if you have been listening, and if you've been touched by this uh, by this broadcast and this ministry, uh, you've probably guessed that I don't count on support from traditional churches. Um, they don't want you to hear what I have to say. So I need to count on listeners like you. I need to count on individuals who are touched by what you're hearing here and uh, what Voice in the Wilderness is all about uh, to continue on this ministry after October. Um, I'll just flat out tell you it costs 350 a month uh, for me to be on the air. And so I'm looking for some partners who will adopt the broadcast for one month or more if possible. Um, you know, even if you can do a two-week commitment, that would be great. Uh, but if you would like to discuss supporting this ministry, I hope you will email me at reconnectedchurch at gmail.com and I'll let you know where to send your tax-deductible contribution. Thank you, and uh, hope to hear from you soon. So, enough business. Back to the back to the fun part. 
Um, we have been talking about the first 15, actually, or the first 17 verses of John 15, which to me are the most important words Jesus ever spoke. Uh, the reason being is that in those 17 verses, you will find everything you need to know about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's the Great Commission, isn't it? Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And then he clarified what that meant when he said, make disciples. He said, who observe all I command you. And you know, there, there's just such a problem in the modern church today with evangelized non-discipled men. We, we have put such an emphasis on getting them in, you know, such an emphasis on quote unquote, getting them saved, getting them to pray the prayer. And then we bankroll them. We warehouse them in our, in our temples on Sundays and we don't disciple them. Um, most of our, most of our leaders have become teachers rather than shepherds. And that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm going to shepherd men. And as we've discussed before, he walked into a situation very similar to the one we have today when he came to earth. We build our big temples. We stand out in front of them, our teachers, and say, if you want to know God, come on in here. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not playing that game. That's what's gotten us into the mess we're in now. I am going to take 12 men and I am going to shepherd them. And I'm going to show them, I'm not just going to teach them, I'm going to show them what the great adventure of the Christian faith is all about. I'm going to be a living example. And then in John 15, verses 1 through 17, he gave the definitive teaching about what that looks like. I told you before that I've broken this up into three pieces. Um, verses 1 through 8 are the first one, and again, I, I entitle it Two Commands in Lockstep because these words abide in me and bear fruit every time they are mentioned together. There's no greater or lesser weight given to either one. They're not mentioned apart. They are in lockstep. They are one in the same. And again, very simply, abide in me and bear fruit. Last week, we talked about um, the bad news and the good news in these first verses. Um, the bad news, which is where Jesus started in verses 1 through the first part of 2, and then verse 6, he talks about the consequences for not bearing fruit. And then we went on to the good news, which is in the second part of verse 2, along with verses 4 and 5. And... There he, he tells us the benefits of abiding in him. And that if we do abide in him, we will bear fruit. Okay, and, and once you start bearing fruit, once you step out in faith and you start saying, God, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make you more than Lord. I'm going to make you master. I'm going to step out in faith here. I'm going to start doing what you tell me to do. I'm going to take you at your word that if I do what you tell me to do, life is going to change for me. And the differences in, in a man who has crossed that threshold and a man who has not are night and day. And Jesus really does bless the man who abides in him because he knows he's going to bear fruit. 
And again, guys, I've said this so many times, but it's so important to understand as we go through this study. It's not about doing more. It's not about, man, I got to get out there and punch my time card for Jesus. It's about the fact that if we are abiding in him, if we really have a relationship, a living relationship with Jesus Christ, we are going to do those good works. We won't be able to help it. You know, Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He wasn't the one driving the bus. He had to go and do what Jesus told him to do. As a matter of fact, in one verse he said, Woe is me if I do not preach this gospel. I am a man compelled. He was compelled to do good works. So the fruit we bear is really the the evidence of the relationship. And by the way, without that relationship, it doesn't matter what good we do. We looked at Isaiah 64, 6, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, you know, where he says, all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. The difference being they're our righteous deeds. There's a lot of people out there in society doing righteous deeds apart from Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean they're going to heaven. So it's not about the deeds. It's about the fact that the deeds are the evidence of the faith. The deeds are the evidence of the relationship. Okay, so um, anyway, we covered the first six verses. Now we're going to move on to verse 7 and complete this message. Um, There is perhaps no verse of Scripture that is taken more out of context or used against the intent in this passage than verse 7 where he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, the the more charismatic denominations, some call them the name and claim it group, um, take this to mean that God is mandated by his own promises to do whatever we ask of him. You know, he's bound to do what he says he'll do in his word. So all we have to do is speak something. All we have to do is bring to God's remembrance his promises. Or worse yet, all we have to do is command him to do something and he will do it. I've spoken before about, about the most needed thing to me in modern Christendom being a healthy fear of God. And folks, when we start commanding God around, man, that is dangerous, dangerous stuff. That, that, that is the absolute antithesis of a fear of God. The, uh, the Bible says, I think Jesus said, or, or Paul said, does the clay say to the one molding it, why have you made me? No, we do not. He is God. We are us. We don't command. The clay does not command the potter. The clay does not say, I want to be shaped this way, so you better shape me this way. The clay just lets the potter shape it as it will be shaped. And when it's done, especially if you have the master potter, especially if you have the potter of all potters, it can't help but be something beautiful. God doesn't create junk. And God isn't going to take a, a lump of clay and mold something ugly and broken and dysfunctional out of it. So to say that, that you know, 
because we speak it, he has to do it. It's like the clay saying to the potter, look, dude, you know, you're not molding me the way I want you to mold me, or you're not molding me fast enough, or you're not molding me big enough. I want to be bigger than the piece of clay on the other. You know, I, I want to be a bigger bowl than that bowl over there, or I want to be a, you know, I want to be a prettier ashtray than that one over there. And so you got to do that because you said that you would give me whatever I ask. Well, there's several things wrong with that. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, famous verses, I'm sure you've all heard them. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how can we possibly know all the time what his will is? Yes, there is a general will of God. We can read the scriptures and we can know what the general will of God is. You know, the general will of God is that people would be saved. The general will of God is that we wouldn't murder each other. The general will of God is that we would keep the Ten Commandments. But then there's specific will. Then there's specific individual will, which we rarely know what that, that looks like. That's, that's when you go to God on a daily basis and you say, God, you know, guide my steps. I, I've got this meeting over here. Or I've got that calamity over there. Or this person's sick or, uh, you know, my family's struggling, my job's struggling, whatever. Finances are in trouble. And we don't know what he's going to do. We don't understand that specific will all the time. And that's very, that he, he makes that very clear. You're not going to because his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and his ways are so much higher than our ways. So one of the things wrong with his thinking is that, is that we don't know his specific will for us. And just because one guy got healed, healed in the Bible doesn't mean that everybody's going to get healed. And just because one demon got caught, or one or however many, you know, there, there are places where numerous legions of demons got cast out of people, doesn't mean that today, on, on October 2nd of 2015, I'm going to be able to cast a demon out of somebody. He, he's not going to allow us to put him in that box and say, I got you all figured out, God. Because if we had God totally figured out, number one, we'd be God. Number two, he would cease to be God. So that's not going to happen. Okay, we do not have God figured out. We don't know what his specific will is for us. And number two is the timing. Even if we know what his general will is, and even if we're praying for something that seems good, and according to the Bible is according to his will, there's always the biggie of when. There are always three answers, brothers, to every question we ask of God. There's yes, there's no, and there's wait. There is, it, it, you know, I'm not going to tell you yet. I'm not going to show you yet. And this is the one that I struggle with just, I've struggled with it all my life because I'm, I'm a charger, I'm a doer, I'm a passionate guy. I want to, you know, I want to get out there like my guest Mark McIntosh, you know, a few weeks back said, I, you know, just do it. Let's just get out there and go. That's me. I want to fix it. I want to make it all right. 
And <laughs> the biggest lesson I've had to learn in life, and I'm still learning it, is to wait. So, number one, we don't know exactly what God's will is in a lot of circumstances, specific will. Number two, even if we do know what his will is, generally, that doesn't mean we know when his timing is. He may be fully intentional of bringing about this promise in my life, but he's making me wait for it. Okay? And then, you know, the other thing is, and, and this falls in line with Isaiah 55, is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Okay, God on the one hand, his thoughts are higher than ours or or as the heavens above the earth. And on the other hand, if we think we've got him figured out, we don't. Because, I mean, even the great Paul, this is, this is the great Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, who got more revelation from God than probably any other man who ever lived, other than Jesus, of course, and that's kind of a strange deal because Jesus was God, so we won't go in there and blow each other's minds. But the, the only man, the only true man, who was not also God incarnate, you know, who, who got there's not a guy who got more revelation than Paul. And Paul says, uh, you know, now I'm like a child. He says, now I see in a mirror dimly. So from both sides of that, from God's standpoint and from our standpoint, there is a huge chasm of understanding there that, that, that cannot be breached. We just have to wait and see what he does. And then... Lastly, let's look at it in its context here. Okay, if we're abiding in Christ and we're bearing fruit, what are we going to be praying for? And more importantly, who are we going to be praying for? Are we going to be praying for ourselves? Think about this. We're abiding in Jesus and we're bearing fruit. What is fruit about? Remember I talked weeks ago about one of the things I love about John 15 being that it is the new great commandment. And, and, and you know, the great commandment, love the Lord your God. New great commandment, abide in me. Great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. New great commandment, bear fruit. It is Jesus restating the great commandment. And what's that all about? The great commandment in either Hebrew or Greek testaments is about loving God and loving your neighbor. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. So let's put this back in context, because in verse 7 of John 15, it is within the context of the new great commandment. So if you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor, are you going to be asking for yourself? No, you're going to be asking for others and you're going to be asking out of pure motives because it's going to be Christ in you, that abiding relationship where it all begins, that abiding relationship that everything springs out of, that's going to be your motivator. So who's going to be doing it? It's going to be Jesus. What are the motives going to be? They're going to be Jesus motives. What are they going to be about? Others. What are they going to be for? Others. 
So to take this out of context and say, you know, you told me that, 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 that I was going to, you know, all I had to do was name it and claim it. No. You're going to be all about others. You're going to be hurting for others. You know, many times I've prayed for healing or a change of circumstance or been in groups of brothers praying for someone and nothing has changed. And yet through their struggles, through these people's struggles, they or someone else has been blessed probably even more than they would have been had they been healed or had what we'd been praying for come to pass. We don't see what God sees, nor do we know what he knows. We don't see all of time in a moment. We can't see a day or two days or two weeks or a year down the road. I mean, look at the story of Joseph. He gets this vision, you know, Joseph gets the vision. You guys, all you brothers of mine are going to fall down and worship me. And so, you know, they throw him in a trench and along come the the traitors and they take him away to Egypt and he's a slave. And all this time, it just looks like, you know, pardon the, pardon the words, but it sucks to be Joseph. You know, then all of a sudden he ends up just the next thing to the king or to the Pharaoh. He ends up leading Pharaoh to store up food for, for nations and through that is restored to his family. And do his brothers end up worshiping him, <laughs> falling at his feet? Yes, they do, just like the vision said. But think about being Joseph during that time. Well, God, I'm praying for all this stuff and nothing's happening. My life sucks. He didn't see down the road. He couldn't see what was coming down the road. And all of his suffering in the short term, led to the blessing of others. I mean, that, that repeats over and over. Look at Lazarus. You know, uh, Lazarus, his sister come, comes to tell Jesus, behold, Lazarus is dying. And Jesus goes, okay, well, I'll get there when I get there. And then he finally gets there and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Well, can you imagine being the ladies? Well, Jesus isn't paying much attention to this thing. They couldn't see what Jesus saw. They knew that he knew that in time, this was all going to be done to glorify God. Okay, and then in verse 8, we come back and and we wrap it up. And in verse 8, it says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so be and so prove to be my disciples. We come back full circle to the fruit being the evidence of discipleship. No fruit proves we have no vibrant or intimate relationship with Christ, because if we do, we cannot help but bear fruit. Jesus taught and modeled a balance of abiding and bearing fruit, each complementing and sustaining the other. He abode in his Father and bore fruit before his disciples. Church for him was as much out in the street as it was in the temples or any other building. Lessons were learned through life as well as teaching, and teaching had a depth because it related to real life. The church grew out of ministry as much as ministry grew out of the church. To Jesus, mission was not optional, and men who refused to run with him into a mission-oriented lifestyle into bearing that fruit were politely but firmly turned away. 
The good shepherd didn't allow men to live under the clouds of self-deception that cloak our Laodicean temples today for even a moment by allowing them to think they were rich when in fact they were poor. This one who relentlessly abode in his father and bore fruit in his life always leads his friends, his disciples, into doing the same. To gather ceaselessly without, even, without ever being commanded to go forth and bear fruit would have been unthinkable to Jesus as he mentored his disciples, yet this is the model we have embraced as his today. It is causing disconnection. It is anesthetizing the good shepherd's sheep who now languish as spectators on the sidelines of the great adventure of the Christian faith. It is causing his shepherds to miss his smashing point. Leadership involves a balance of teaching and leading by example. Again, abiding and bearing fruit. It is segregating the lockstep joined partners of abiding and fruit bearing. I want to close this with with Jesus' final discourse uh, with the man he chose to become the rock of his church, Simon. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Anyway, I won't read the whole thing, but three times he said, Peter, do you love me? And the answer after Peter said, yes, Jesus said to him, tend my flock. You know, it said that if the scriptures say something once, we better listen. And if they say it twice, we dare not miss it. How then shall we live when it, it does so three times? Jesus did not want Peter or us to misunderstand his clear message. If we love God, we will love our neighbors. In Jesus Christ, we find fully revealed the perfect balance of grace and command, forgiveness and expectations, and a call to abide and bear fruit. If we love him, we will serve them. There is no segregating those. The two qualities of abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit in these first eight verses exist in total harmony with one another. They witness to the reality of one another and rise and fall upon one another's shoulders. They do indeed rest in what God has already done by grace, and without that we truly can do nothing. Nevertheless, Jesus commands us to act, and without obedience born of the human will, working cooperatively with God's Spirit, the sons of Adam have proven repeatedly they will do nothing. The synergy and balance of the ultimate truth and tension bring a finite human being and an infinite God into lockstep of relationship, communion, love, passion, and purpose. Together, these two partners, abiding and bear fruit, provide a vision and an example that make men alive. As our song says, <laughs> more than ordinary lives. Segregated, they lead to the malaise of Laodicea and a slow walk down the green mile to spiritual death. So, we're going to sign off with that again. I hope you will consider um, if this ministry has, has touched you and been a blessing to you. I hope you will consider donating to it, becoming a partner with me. Again, re, the re, <laughs> reconnectedchurch at gmail.com. That's reconnectedchurch at gmail.com. And say, Mike, I want, to do, I want to donate. I want to be a partner. Thank you. This is Mike Wolf signing off.
You've been listening to the new Voice in the Wilderness broadcast with author, speaker, and discipleship trainer, Mike Wolf. If you're feeling led to know more concerning Mike's challenging message to men and the church, his website is thereconnectedchurch.org. Or you can email Mike at reconnectedchurch at gmail.com and request to be put on his blog list. You can find his books, The Lost Supper, and his devotional series, Praying Today's Psalms, on Amazon. Until this same time next week, remember all you sons of Adam, we are made to thrive by joining the most exciting man who ever lived on the greatest adventure that ever was.